Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for June 12th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to have a supersized edition catching up on all the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film Writers Y Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, let's just get into it, because we have a a huge list of news to talk about on the docket and let's start off with a, a new story that broke on, on last week that we just have not gotten to and that is that john it was announced by disney that john lasseter is going to leave the company at the end of the year chris what do we know oh uh, yeah so john lasseter who was a, a major creative force at disney and pixar um, late last year, he took a leave of absence after uh, certain allegations surfaced uh, alleging um, sexual misconduct or uh, you know, he he never copped to that. But a story came out in The Hollywood Reporter uh, claiming that was the reason. Um, so he took a leave of absence and there was a rumor uh, a little while ago that he might be coming back in a, in a limited capacity. And now we have confirmation that he's going to be uh, out of Disney completely by the end of 2018. Um, there's no official replacement for him yet, but uh, in the meantime, um, Jennifer Lee, who directed Frozen, and Pete Docter, who directed uh, Inside Out, are going to be taking over most of his duties. Okay, so um, how how much do you think this is going to affect the company as a whole? John Laster was, you know, hugely involved in all the animated films. He was part of, you know, the Pixar and Disney brain trust. Uh, now that he is not going to be there after this year, uh, do you think that this could have a huge effect on the company? Uh, it might, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to buy too much into the, you know, the the legend of the, the lone uh, creative force, you know, uh, you know, as, as much as he's contributed to these films over the years, it's, uh, you know, who's to say he's the only one who could, you know, come up with these ideas. I'm sure. Oh yeah. You know, the there's... group. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm honestly surprised that Disney is doing this. I, I applaud them 
Um, because, uh, you know, they could have kept him on. There hasn't been anybody that has come out uh, in public uh, to, you know, to say, you know, bad things that have happened uh, along with Laster and sexual harassment. You know, there's, you know, obviously he admitted that there was some hugs and some other stuff. Uh, HT, uh, should we be applauding for Disney for finally doing this? Yeah, I think it's good that they're taking action, although I think it's a little strange that they're waiting till the end of the year and not taking immediate action um, after it's clear that he was you know, out of the role for a while. I guess they're just trying to wrap things up and make the transition even smoother. But um, yeah, I think it's it's good that they're taking making this decision, even though uh, it's not exactly clear exactly what uh, transgressed. But um I think it is enough to to uh, to be certain that this is a good move. I think also there are reports also of um, Pixar's boys club mentality and the fact that they're diversifying by adding Jennifer Lee at the top is a really good move as well. Oh, for sure. It, it you know f- since this happened, I thought they were just going to replace him with Pete Doctor, and it's great to see Lee in that in that group. Uh, but let's move on to some other, uh, you know, c- controversy. Uh, Brian Singer, who was the original director of Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, was replaced uh, late in that production. And uh, we finally have word on who is going to be the credited director of that movie. HD, tell us about it. So there was some contention over whether Brian Singer, who left uh, partway through production with two weeks left to shoot uh, and Dexter Fletcher, who replaced him, over whether who over whether the singer or Fletcher would have uh, the director's credit for the film. Uh, when the Bohemian Rhapsody trailer dropped, it was notably missing the director in the trailer saying, uh, "From 20th Century Fox and Regency Enterprises, where you would usually have a director's title there." So it was um, assumed that it wasn't quite decided yet, but it's reported that Brian Singer will be credited as the director for Bohemian Rhapsody. So this comes after um, 20th Century Fox fired Singer after reported troubles on set uh, due to him not showing up on set or clashing with actors and crew. But those were the essential reasons that 20th Century Fox said they they fired him. But (laughs) a few days after uh, he exited the project, um, a few alle- the allegations of his um, sexual of him sexually assaulting uh, other people came to the surface. So it seemed like they may be somewhat related, but of course it's not exactly um, the connections aren't drawn yet, so we can't be sure. But uh, for now, Singer's name is attached to the film, and we don't know whether that will uh, affect that Bohemian Rhapsody's reception when it comes out in November. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was at CinemaCon, they uh, Rami Malek and uh, who's the other director that replaced him? Dexter Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher were on stage to introduce the trailer. They premiered the trailer at CinemaCon in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, no mention of Brian Singer there. Uh, it's interesting. You know, we've learned that, like, you know, when a director shoots a certain amount of uh, a movie, you know, there's this whole Director's Guild of America process. And uh, I'm sure Brian Singer saw the cut of the movie and fought to, to have his name on it because, uh, you know, 
that sounds like something Brian Singer would do. Uh, but um, <laughs> otherwise, I don't know. I think uh, for the studio, it, w- it would make them a lot, you know, it would be a lot easier to market this movie without Brian Singer's name on it. So it's going to be interesting, you know, when the press junket comes up and everybody's asking all sorts of questions. Uh, if, uh, well, do you think there's any chance that Singer's going to be available for interviews? I don't think so. I <laughs> yeah. think he, I think his name will remain attached to this film, but I don't think they'll, 20th Century Fox is going to take the risk of putting him out for the the press tour, especially after the allegations were much more concrete than the ones that we're talking about with Lassiter. So I don't think that they'll, I think they'll try to distance themselves as much as possible with having him as the director, but at the same time, he will not appear. I don't think. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. Um, Let's, let's go to our last of our trio of controversial stories. And that revolves around the Hulk Hogan versus Gawker case. Uh, There was a documentary made about that case uh, that premiered, at Sundance a couple of years back, and now it seems like there might be a narrative feature film uh, being made about the the case. Uh, the, what do we know about this, Chris? And what, do we need a narrative feature film about this case? Well, there's not only one narrative feature film. There's actually two different narrative feature films being developed right now. Um, there's one called Gawker versus Feel, and then there's this one, which is... Uh, going to be directed by Francis Lawrence, who directed Red Sparrow and the Hunger Games sequels. And it's going to be um, written by Charles Randolph, who is one of the co-writers on The Big Short. And, uh, you know, all these things are telling, you know, the same basic story about how uh, Peter Thiel uh, encouraged Hulk Hogan to sue Gawker over um, releasing a sex tape and how the lawsuit literally just brought Gawker down completely. It bankrupted them and they had to close their website. Um, I, I don't know if we if we need uh, this told in a, a narrative form, because uh, like you said, there's already a documentary. Um, there's also and, and it's a good documentary. It, I think it evenly, uh, you know, tells the whole tale and uh, tells about the consequences and, you know, the, the big stakes of it. That I, I don't think you could probably go into in a narrative uh, feature. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know how this will turn out, honestly. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that. Charles Randolph, the big short writer is involved, suggests that maybe they're going for that same sort of tone as the big short where it's like a mix of like dark comedy and drama. I I really don't know. I mean, like I can't even picture like, who are you going to cast to play Hulk Hogan? That just seems so like strange to me, but I I guess we'll see how it turns out. Okay. Let's uh, move on to, uh, things a little bit more exciting and that is uh one marvel fan has apparently seen avengers infinity war 43 times actually more than that now but he he has chronicled his his uh viewings of these movies on twitter we covered it and uh and the resulting response to that brad what do we know yeah so as of june 7th 2018 uh a young man calling himself nem the infinity watcher on twitter had seen avengers infinity war uh 42 times and then his story went viral after i I think it was comicbook.com was the first to pick it up noticing how many times this guy was seeing infinity war and so once his story started spreading he was like well there's only one way to celebrate this go see infinity war again so he saw it for a 43rd time and after that once the story got even more traction 
got the attention of uh, certain parties, including IMAX, who offered him 50 free IMAX tickets so that he can continue to watch Infinity War over and over again. Um, and then the Russo brothers uh, themselves reached out, apparently. Um, well, I don't know if it was necessarily the, the Russo brother, um, brothers or if it was just someone on behalf of Marvel or something like that. But they invited... It was, it was from their Twitter. They DM'd okay. them from Twitter, so I think it gotcha. was them. Yeah, so it was uh, an official invite to the premiere of Avengers 4. So this guy, for being, you know, one of the biggest Marvel fans, apparently, seeing Infinity War so many times, now gets to live out a, the dream of going to the premiere of what will be one of the, the biggest movies, uh, you know, in, in blockbuster history, probably. That is insane. I mean, a, lo- a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, he got uh, a, a ticket to the premiere out of this. But you got to consider, he saw the film 43 times before this happened, right? And that yeah. film is like, what, two and a half hours long? Uh-huh. So, that, so that's like, what, 110 hours or something like that? That's, yeah, more that's, than that. That's a lot of, that's a lot of time. Uh, just got me thinking, though, what what is the, the most that you have seen a movie in the theater? Brad, do you, do, what is the most? For the longest time after working at a movie theater in high school, it was a tie between Matrix Reloaded and X-Men 2. I saw them each five times uh, that summer that they both came out. But then when Force Awakens came out, I actually saw that six times in theaters, and that is currently the the record holder. Wow, I was expecting you to beat me. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really get to see movies multiple times in the theater much. Uh, I did see Jurassic Park two times in the theater. I got to, I saw it once, and I, I brought my dad uh, to the theater to see it a second time. Uh, but I think that's probably the most I would see a movie in the theater uh, when I was younger. I used to, you know, uh, buy VHS and DVD and you know watch uh, over and over and over again at that, you know, in, on home video. But uh, so I think the, the the longest I probably or the most amount of times I probably saw a movie in the theater is probably also Force Awakens, which I saw six or seven times in various different formats from IMAX to 3D to 2D to film because L.A. had uh, one of the only film screenings of it. Uh, HT, what movie have you seen the most in the theater? I don't think I've seen a movie more than three times, uh, which is sad, a very sad compared to your guys' records. I saw Tangled three times, and then I also saw Wonder Woman three times. But uh, as for other ones, I can't remember much from like my childhood. I probably saw like Aladdin several times in theaters because I was obsessed with that film. But other than that, I don't think I've seen any more than three. Chris, what is your record? Um, I don't do movies in the theater that uh, often. I don't. I mean, I, mean, I don't re-see see them over and over again. I think the the record would probably be The Dark Knight, which I saw three times. I saw it twice in a regular theater and once in IMAX. Um, I do rewatch things on Blu-ray constantly. I like. I, I think I've I've rewatched David Fincher's Zodiac at least like twenty times because I don't know that movie is just like infinitely rewatchable to me. Yeah, I think if you added home video to this mix, I, I would have seen uh, Back to the Future 1 probably, I don't know, at least a few hundred times, if not a thousand. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's Princess Bride. I definitely memorized the entire dialogue of that movie. Brad, home video. What is the uh, most you've ever seen? Probably 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Wayne's World? Yeah, it's unfair with you though because you just have things playing on in the background, so you probably have watched movies. You you can do that too. Nothing's stopping you from doing that. <laughs> I don't know. It would it, it, it would distract me from work, Brad. It would distract me. You 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 work on a higher level than us, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know uh, about that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was talking about my childhood. Uh, one of the things from my childhood is on MTV, they used to have, uh, this show called what liquid television. And one of the animated, uh, shorts on there was this thing called Aeon flux, which looks so unique and so interesting. And it was kind of like, uh, unlike anything I had seen animated at that time, uh, MTV has announced that they are rebooting Aeon flux as a live action TV series. HD, what do we know? So yes, Aeon Flux is coming back to MTV, but not as an animated series, this time as a live action TV series. Uh, Teen Wolf showrunner Jeff Davis is on board to pen the script, and he will executive produce alongside The Walking Dead's Gail Ann Hurd, who also produced the 2005 feature film, uh, which starred Charlize Theron as uh, in the title role. So this is the second live action um, adaptation of this series but uh the as you know as you may know the 2005 feature film was not very well received it was both a critical flop and a commercial disappointment it didn't even make back its 62 million budget but hopefully uh this movie will have this series will have a a better go at it because jeff davis did his own sort of revival with teen wolf which was a more gritty reworking of the campy michael j fox 80s film I, I'm just wondering, like, the whole appeal of this uh, short, these shorts to me were kind of like that visceral, like, it's unlike anything you've seen animated. And I, you know, if, if this feature film, this 2005 feature film from uh, Karen Kurosama, oh my God, I can't even Karen Kusama. Kusama, yeah. Uh, it can't, you know, replicate that with, you know, a big budget. I don't understand how a TV series could. So I'm wondering, uh, do any of you think, do, do any of you have faith that MTV on a, you know, MTV budget can uh, pull this off? Sounds like the answer is no. <laughs> well, the Teen Wolf budget wasn't that great either. And sometimes it looked a little bit flimsy, but they mostly focused on the characters. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see about this. But uh, let's move on to uh, Lord of the Rings. Last week, uh, we talked about how some quotes from Peter Jackson saying he wasn't involved with Amazon's Lord of the Rings TV series. And since then, uh, quotes from Peter Jackson have debunked Peter Jackson. Uh, We have also learned some new details on the series from Amazon. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so Amazon Studios uh, president Jennifer Salk has this big interview in Deadline where she talks about um, several uh, big Amazon properties, and one of them is the Lord of the Rings show. And she um, she reveals a few things. One thing that I found particularly interesting is she revealed that you know even though we've been talking about this Lord of the Rings show for months now, the deal you know to make it official was only finalized last month, which might explain why. There have been so many, you know, wild rumors that we haven't been able to confirm just because they really haven't nailed anything down yet. And uh, she also says that, uh, you know, the general public is probably going to know a lot more about the show 
within a month. Um, specifically, uh, they're going to be announcing writers they're going to hire and all that stuff. Uh, she also pretty much confirms that Peter Jackson is involved in some capacity. Um, she says, uh, you know, right now they're in the middle of having conversations with Peter Jackson and it's basically boiling down to, they're asking him, you know, how much does he want to be involved with the show or how little? So he's going to have some sort of involvement with the show. It's just not clear if it's going to be a lot of involvement or just like a little, uh, consulting here and there. Um, beyond that, she says, uh, you know, they're not going to be remaking the movies, but it is going to be a show that features characters that everyone, you know, knows and loves. So it's not going to be a show that introduces a whole bunch of new characters in Middle Earth. It's going to have a lot of familiar Lord of the Rings characters at, uh, at the center of it. That is interesting because until now, I had assumed that this was going to be kind of like, you know, the backstory, kind of like that uh, Game of Thrones uh, uh, prequel series they announced where it would take place far into the past and kind of like set set up the world. Um, Chris, I know you're a big fan of Lord of the Rings. Uh, is is this something that you, you need? Do you, do you need to follow the, the, the characters you know and love? I don't know, because like I'm not a big fan of the books, per se. I'm a huge fan of the first three Peter Jackson movies. I'm not a fan of the Hobbit movies. I don't think anyone really is. So it's weird. Like If this were happening immediately after the Peter Jackson trilogy, the first one came out, and it was all the same people, I would probably be very excited about this. But as of now, I'm not really sure where I stand. I, I, I feel like once they start announcing you know, the cast and who's involved writing it, I, I may get more excited about it. But as of now, I'm a little on the fence about this. Okay, let's move on from one epic trilogy to another. Let uh, Star Wars. Uh, E3 is going on in Los Angeles this week, and it was announced over the weekend that a new Star Wars video game is in the works for 2019 that will show the fall of the Jedi Order and uh, follow uh, Revenge of the Sith. What do we know about this, Brad? Uh, honestly, that's just about all we know. This was an announcement that was made uh, during the craziness of E3 that's been going on for the past few days where they're announcing all sorts of new video games. Um, and so this is... Uh, the game is called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It's coming from Electronic Arts and Respawn Entertainment. It's supposed to be released sometime during the holiday season of 2019. Uh, and the game itself will be a single-player action-adventure title uh, that tells a story about a Jedi Padawan uh, trying to survive after Emperor Palpatine has executed Order 66, where uh, he commands the clone army under his control to kill all the Jedi in the galaxy. Um, this is a, It's a pretty cool idea for a game, simply because uh, we haven't really covered a lot of the time uh, between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope in Star Wars canon. There's Star Wars Rebels, but that takes place much closer to the events of Star Wars A New Hope than to the events of Revenge of the Sith. And this is something that will happen on, uh, unfold shortly after Revenge of the Sith. So it'll help fill in the gaps. And as we know, anything that happens in the Star Wars universe now uh, is um, with regards to video games, comic books, that kind of thing, that's all canon. So this will be a story that takes place in the canon part of the Star Wars universe. Um, I would imagine we'll see some recognizable characters pop up here and there, but yeah, this sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Um, it's not quite as cool as the open world video game that was once in the works a while back, uh, sounded, but you know, 
at the very least, it's it's something different than Star Wars Battlefront, which is really the only major Star Wars video game title we've gotten outside of the various, you know, mobile app games that are out there right now. I mean, Order 66 and the, the killing of all the Jedis is, is something that is ripe for exploration, and I'm surprised that they haven't really done it sooner. Uh, and these uh, Star Wars video games that they're producing are actually considered canon. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see what this adds to to this universe that we know and love. Uh, but let's move on from there to uh, Looney Tunes. Warner Brothers has announced that they're bringing back Looney Tunes animated short films uh, to a variety of platforms. HD, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? So in 2019, Warner Brothers is premiering Looney Tunes Cartoons, which is a series of new short-form cartoons starring the your beloved Looney Tunes characters uh, in digital and mobile screens and broadcast. So it will not only be on TV, but it will be accessible on your phone. Uh, and these will be 100 minutes of um, new... Looney Tunes shorts uh, for 100 minutes per season, and uh, it will be artist-driven, which uh, is apparently a, sort of like the, the angle that they're going for for this series. Uh, they haven't released who the artists are yet, but it seems like this will be the next Looney Tunes series that will be coming uh, to a screen near you. I, I wonder by artist-driven if they, if they mean that they're just going to have artists come in and tell their own story or if that means that, you know, we'll have a variety of different styles and they won't stick to the same style guide. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if it'll be a variety of different styles because that would be very cool and bold for a Looney Tunes series, which is often stuck to the kind of the same house style that we've seen since since the 1930s. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that they got rid of these Looney Tunes shorts. Like, it was such, like... A kind of cool thing and i know pixar and disney kind of brought back the short films before theatrical features we don't know that they're doing that here it doesn't say theatrical but they you know say a variety of platforms but uh and disney in recent years has been bringing back those mickey mouse cartoons which if you haven't ever checked them out i think they might be i don't know i'm not sure where they're available maybe youtube uh but they're fantastic and in the animation style that brad hates so uh yes <laughs> Uh, but let's move on to uh, Batman. Uh, you know, I, I think it was probably one of the first episodes of this podcast that I, you know, said that Matt Re that that Ben Affleck is probably not going to come back for Matt Reeves Batman. Uh, a lot of people attacked me on Twitter, all these DC and Zack Snyder fans, saying I didn't know what I was talking about. And guess what? It looks like Matt Reeves might be rebooting the Batman without Ben Affleck. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's basically been months of back and forth, you know, is Ben Affleck playing Batman again or not? You know, there's rumors saying he's not. Ben Affleck himself at one point said they weren't true. Uh, ben Affleck's brother said they were true. Um, so uh, the other day, um, it was announced that Jeff Johns was stepping down as DC Entertainment president and buried in, you know, that story was this sort of casual tossed off line that Matt Reeves is going to be uh, pretty much rebooting Batman all over again. And that Ben Affleck is pretty much, you know, he, he's literally not going to play the character anymore. Um, you know, again, this is a rumor, you know, it could turn out to be n not true, but the fact that you know, it was reported by deadline seems to suggest that it, it probably is happening. And, 
they're going back to the drawing board with Batman. They're not going to worry about the, the, the Justice League, Batman v Superman continuity, and they're going to start all over again. This is so confusing because DC has uh, this very successful franchise with Wonder Woman, but it's tied to, you know, this whole DCEU that they built up. But now they're going to be replacing Batman. Uh, Brad, uh, is this the way to go? I mean, it's, it's tough to say what the right way to go is for the DC Extended Universe at this point. Like, honestly, what I wish they would do is figure out a way to allow Flashpoint to reboot the entire universe and just move on and start start over from scratch from there and maybe just keep uh, Wonder Woman somehow intact so that we don't have to lose uh, Gal Gadot as, as her because she's the best thing about the DC uh, EU at this point. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's such a mess over there. And I don't know what they can do to, to fix it at this point. It seems like they're just trying anything and everything they can, just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. It was a huge hit at the box office. And when we, we knew that Chapter 2 was coming out, everybody was doing fantasy casting on who they wanted to play the, uh, the kids as adults. And we got some pleasure, uh, some pleasant uh, surprises there. But we've also gotten some, a bit of some disappointments. Uh, and over the weekend, we learned... Uh, who w- got the last slot in the Losers Club? Brad, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know, and is this a win or a loss for us? Uh, I'll say somewhere in the middle. Um, it was uh, Chosen Jacobs, who is the uh, young child actor who played Mike Hanlon in the first It movie. Uh, he made the announcement on Instagram over the weekend uh, that everybody picked up. Uh, he announced that Isaiah Mustafa, who is the best known as the former spokesman for Old Spice in those commercials where he was doing things like riding a horse while wearing a towel and, you know, walking through various beach sets and things like that. Uh, he's going to be playing adult Mike Hanlon. Um, and as we've talked about before, Mike Hanlon's role in the It series is he is the only one who stays behind in Derry, Maine, after uh, everyone grows up and kind of moves away from Derry. And uh, director Andy Muschietti has talked about how he's he's kind of changed Mike Hanlon's role a little bit as to what it is from the book, because uh, in the, in the book he does he he does do all this uh, research to try and figure out how to stop Pennywise and learn about the town's evil history and that kind of thing. But in this uh, version, it sounds like Andy Muschietti is going to have that take a bit of a darker toll on him. He's like going to become what he refers to as like a library junkie. Um, and there's been some talk about like the the best way to, to figure out how to defeat Pennywise is to take some kind of mind-altering drugs that help him figure out how to de- actually defeat Pennywise. And it's going to kind of mess him up a little bit. So if anything, maybe there's a chance Mike Hanlon's role isn't as big as some of the other members of the Losers Club in this movie. Uh, maybe he'll only be around for the beginning of it to bring everybody back to Derry, since he's the one that lets everyone know that Pennywise is back and it's time to do something about it. Um, but yeah, so I, a little bit disappointing, I guess. Um, personally, my pick was I would have loved to see Jordan Peele come back and do this role. But if it's not a big enough role um, for someone of that you know, caliber, then maybe it, it works out that it's somebody like Isaiah Mustafa instead. Yeah, and I know some people wanted, you know, yeah, Jordan Peele or Donald Glover. I don't know. To me, you know, the old Spice guy seems like a step down from those <laughs> those fantasy choices. Uh, but, you know, I guess the first it did not uh, 
have you know a lot of big names. Chris, I know you're a big fan of uh, Stephen King. What do you think of this casting? Yeah, I mean, I too was hoping for a bigger name, but uh, you know, every time I get disappointed like this, I, I try to remind myself that. You know the 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 2017's it. There was no real big names in that. The biggest name was pretty much Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. And you know, even though I didn't know who any of those actors were in that film, I still loved it. So, you know, I, I am a little disappointed that the whole cast isn't filled with name actors. But uh, I'm pretty happy with how it shaped up in general. I mean, the fact that Jessica Chastain is going to be in it is is a huge uh, deal. So I'm 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 still excited for it, even though I would have liked someone more excited for this role and let's move on from it to the thing that it inspired and that is stranger things uh the the, the stranger things series from netflix which is very popular is getting a prequel but it's going to be in the form of a book ht what do we know so penguin random house is partnering with netflix for a worldwide publishing deal for several books based on Stranger Things, one of which will be a prequel book following Eleven's mother. We got a little bit of her backstory in uh, episode eight, I think, of uh, Stranger Things season two. And that was where we saw how she sort of became involved with the organization that experimented on her and created Eleven. So we'll get to see a little bit more about how that that came to be in her kind of tragic story that we saw a glimpse of in Stranger Things. Um, it won't be the only book either. That will be the only um, fictional novel so far, or rather novelization so far. But other ones uh, include a um, behind-the-scenes companion book and a hardcover gift book for young readers. So the gift book will reportedly offer advice, wisdom, and warnings from the Stranger Things world. And uh, they, those will be released in the fall 2018, while the um, prequel novel, which is written by Gwenda Bond, will be released in spring 2019. I'm just wondering if anybody actually wants to know the story of uh, Levin's mother. Like, it seems like, you know, people are in this series because of you know, their love for this group of kids and also the 80s nostalgia. And it seems like this book would have none of those things. Uh, I do think that this tells us one thing, that we're probably not going to explore Eleven's backstory, at least in terms of uh, her mom, much further uh, in in, in this, the show because they wouldn't be giving some, you know, uh, novelist uh, the opportunity to write it if, if there's going to be conflicting uh, storylines, right? Um mm. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, Netflix is, you know, growing beyond the TV shows and movies, you know, with Mark Millar's uh, comic books and now these books. Um, and it's, it's, it's also funny that, you know, Stephen King's books inspired the show, which are now inspiring new books. Full <laughs> but, circle. Full circle, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's move on to our last and final story, and that is uh, Arachnophobia was a movie that terrified me as a kid. Uh, you know, I haven't really revisited it since then, so I'm not sure how good of a movie it was. But it was directed by Frank Marshall, uh, the famous producer of uh, Back to the Future and uh, Jurassic Park series. Uh, but uh, now it is finally getting a remake at Amblin with James Wan. Chris, what do we know? That's really all we do know. Uh, like you said, this is this was a 1990 Frank Marshall film. It was actually his directorial debut. 
Uh, and now James Wan, the director of The Conjuring and Insidious, is producing uh, a new remake of it at Amblin Entertainment, which also Amblin released the original film. Uh, and, uh, the original is a lot of fun. It's one of those movies I, you know, I love, but I also will probably never rewatch because it makes my skin crawl because it's just scene after scene of real spiders crawling over people's faces and stuff like that. And, uh, I don't get creeped out by a lot of things, but bugs, um, do (laughs) unsettle me a little bit. So I, I have trouble watching this film. Um, that said, I have a feeling I'll probably be okay with this remake because I'm sure they're just going to make all the bugs CGI or I probably shouldn't call them bugs because I'm sure someone will correct me and say that spiders are actually arachnids. I'm sorry, spider fans out there. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'm sure they're going to CGI all the, all the spiders for this. So I'll probably be able to handle that a little bit more, but the original, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. J- John Goodman is in, in the original and he's hilarious, but yeah, I, I, I do have trouble with that that first film. Yeah, also Jeff Daniels. Um, and, uh, you know, a qu- quick fact, the original movie was distributed by Disney under their Buena Vista Pictures line, which is just like, you know, a lot of people don't uh, think back to, like, their offshoots, but they distributed some weird uh, movies. Uh, a lot of people, you know, talking about what are they going to do to Fox, and I feel like we're going to get back to this kind of, uh, hopefully get back to some, some of these kind of uh, movie releases. But, um, yeah, I'm wondering, like, you know, part of the thing that was so scary to me as a kid with this movie was it was, you know, real spiders and uh, practical effects. Do, do you think what well, I know what you think, but like, I guess HT, uh, do you think that they can replicate that creepiness if it's going to be mostly CG, you know, creatures? So I've actually never seen arachnophobia. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Well, it came out in 1990, which is two years before I was born. <laughs> And I just never got around to it. But um, that's a good question. I've always been in favor of practical effects for just like it always is much more it always holds up better and it's always much more believable. Uh, where I, but here I think they probably will go to, to CG. Um, I don't know if it will work as well, but uh, I think it's more budget more in their budget to do so and you know we have such great cg nowadays that we have whole live action in quotes adaptations of just cg animals so i think this will be fine as a cg spider um monster movie I don't know. I want to terrorize. I want to see the actors terrified because there's real spiders, like real, like, you know, uh, tarantulas. tarantulas. Yes. Crawling on their faces because that that would make me not want to see the movie. Yes. (laughs) Anyways, uh, that is our last story for today. HT, where can we find more work from you online? So you can find me every day at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris, where can we find your work? I'm also at Slash Film, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Brad, where can we find you? Of course, SlashFilm.com. Also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And check out my goofy movie podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and other places that podcasts are offered. 
You can find me at Slash Elm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashElm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, this podcast is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashElm.com. And uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>